0: Welcome to Cropcast, a series of monthly podcasts covering topical issues throughout the season. We will also bring you some of the latest research from experts. My name is Tiffany McTaggart, and this week we're going to be discussing manures. With fertiliser prices high, correct utilisation of manures can help to maximise your nutrient benefits and may help to keep your fertiliser bill as small as possible. Today we're talking to SAC consultant Craig Bothwell, who has extensive knowledge on manures. So to start with, let's go back to basics and just think about what types of manures there are available. So from cattle, you're likely to get farmyard manure and slurry. So do you want to just tell us a bit about those and how they
1: analyze so yeah as you say farmyard manure tends to obviously be that taken out of straw bedded court it's obviously going to be an awful lot of a, a stackable uh, manure compared to slurry which will be conventionally taken from uh, slats uh, and or from scrape passages and whatnot so your farmyard manure a uh, drier product than slurry uh, it's got a dry matter of around 25 percent. your total nitrogen is about six kilos uh, in that um bearing in mind that not all of that will be available um total phosphate will be about 3.2 kilograms per tonne uh, and then potash will be eight kilograms per tonne. So when we're talking about organics, organic manures they tend to be slightly different whenever we're talking about bag fertilizers so bag fertilizers are measured by percentage within the the bag uh, whereas with organic manures we're talking about kilograms per tonne so if we are talking about um, 3.2 kilograms per tonne of phosphate we're talking that every tonne that's applied to that field uh, gives us 3.2 kilograms of phosphate so that's very much determined by availability and whatnot but I just thought it was worth mentioning that when we're talking about these figures uh, that's the sort of units that, that, that we'll be referring to and potassium uh, we've got about eight kilograms of potash per tonne uh, in there as well so that's cattle fym um, and then when we're moving on to cattle slurry um, obviously a much less lesser dry matter product but I mean I should note at this point that these are uh, book figures that were talking about uh, they can be very variable in terms of their analysis based on what the diet is that's getting fed but the book figure for cattle slurry six percent uh, dry matter uh, 2.6 kilos of nitrogen 1.2 kilograms of phosphate and then 3.2 kilograms of potash per tonne so uh, much less potent in terms of p and k uh, of slurry compared to fym but i mean you've got to remember as well the dry matter is that much lower as well and when we're talking about nitrogen as well that's the total nitrogen rather than the available nitrogen so we'll go on to talk about the, the availability of these products
0: you mentioned about how these are just the book figures. Would you recommend that farmers go and analyse this, slurry? And if so, how frequently?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, especially, as you said, at the beginning with fertilizer prices as they are, we are getting a lot more inquiries uh, from farmers about sampling these. So um, it's it's fine taking these book figures, but they have been an average uh, of what has been analysed in the past. So uh, yeah, get some samples into the lab. Uh, you'll find that they do range quite a lot. So get, get some samples into the lab, get your, your examples. Figures that, that, that you can that you can then base what your what's coming from your organics, um, because otherwise it's going to be a bit of a guessing game. And unless you've got the figures accurately, that's 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 the level of detail that we need uh, to be making the, the savings whenever we're doing the nutrient budget and uh, and making best use of both our organic manures uh, and also limiting the amount of uh, manufactured bag fertilizer that we're putting on where where, where possible. So no, one hundred percent, Tiffany, definitely good advice for the farmers.
0: Definitely. So how does hen pen go and compare?
1: So hen pen, um, maybe more of a Scottish term, but uh, yeah, hen pen and or or layer manure as, as maybe a lot of other people refer it to. Um, it's, uh, again, a much drier, well, again, it can be very variable, but it's a much drier product than, than we're talking about compared to our cattle slurries and, and organic manures. But what you, you find here is that the nitrogen is that much higher in and, and hen pen. So um, you'll get a lot of farmers putting that on before first cut um, and whatnot. To, to make the most use of the nitrogen from their organics and topping up a much less bag fertilizer. So um, in comparison, we're 19 kilograms of nitrogen uh, per ton. Uh, again, a very high source of phosphate. Uh, we're 14 kilograms of, of, of phosphate per ton, uh, and again a great source of, of, of potash. So nine and a half kilograms of potash per per ton there. So. Hen pen would typically be put on at much lesser application rates compared to your cattle uh, manures, um, just because they are so potent in their in their nutrient. Um, concentration within them. But yeah, again, very variable. Whenever farmers are getting uh, hemp in delivered, it's very much determined by the shed that it's come out. So you can have some that are, that are not bedded on sort of conventional sawdust and, and wood chip sort of stuff. So that stuff can be very liquidy. Uh, and it can be a case of when you open the, the trailer, the sort of stuff flows out before you've tipped the trailer up. So um, that's when it comes into sort of the stackable nature of it. But anything out of the sort of layer sheds tends to be an awful lot drier um than out of some of some of the other sheds. So um, I suppose it's important both to know what you're getting delivered and um, whenever we're talking about obviously these learn manures will be tending to, to be there be a purchasable fertilizer, so um, knowing exactly what what you're getting before it gets delivered, and make sure you've got the facilities there to handle that, um, and and obviously meeting all your your geek rules is is, is fairly important.
0: So, what other manures might people and um, be looking at?
1: So, with the sort of starting up our anaerobic digesters and whatnot, this digestate that's been coming out of of them is getting quite popular, and also getting quite limited availability because we've had a lot of people inquiring about them. So, um, you've got two things coming out the the back of a digester plant we've got uh, the liquid fraction and then we've got the separated fraction so um, what's happening there is that your the anaerobic digester produces slurry much similar to cattle slurry um, and then that's going through like a squeeze press uh, at the other end uh, and the reason for that is to take out as much of the solid fraction as they can uh, obviously if, if, if we're removing as much moisture as we can it's, it's cheaper to, to haul that's the two, the two difference, and when farmers talk about digestate, we're often not too sure whether they're getting the liquid fraction or or the or the dried fraction.
0: So, what is the nutrient content in those two different forms of digestate?
1: Um, yeah, so. What I should have mentioned earlier is that we've got both food-based digestate and farm-based digestate. So when we're thinking about anaerobic digesters, uh, some of them are are fed with the likes of rye, uh, whole crop um, and and silage, grass silage, and some of the other ones are, are fed by food waste. So it's worth differentiating between whether you're getting uh, digestate between a farm-based grass silage um, digester or from a food waste uh, digester so both of them can then be split into both the whole fraction which is the separated fraction and then the, the liquid that's coming off that as well so uh, starting with the food-based digestate so the liquid itself uh lower dry matter of 3.8 uh, percent and that's at four and a half kilograms of total nitrogen and um, one kilogram of phosphate and then 2.8 kilograms of uh, potash, uh, and then similarly again, much like our, our our hen pen, a high dry matter, of 27% dry matter, uh, total nitrogen of 3.6%, um, phosphate at 1.7, and then potash at 4.4. So great great sources of nutrients uh, that can be best used in the farm. Then again, the farm based digestates, you've got your liquid at um, 3% dry matter, 1.9% total nitrogen, 0. 0.6 of Phosphate and then 2.5 of potash, and then again the fibre a much higher dry matter, a 24% dry matter, 5.6 kilos of nitrogen, 4.7 of phosphate, and then six of potash. So all very valuable sources that that should be that should be accurately accounted for when we're working out our, our nutrient recommendations.
0: If you are particularly interested in applying digestate, there's an excellent video on the FAS website called Making the Most of Digestate Applications. We'll put a link into the show notes below. We talked about nitrogen, um, phosphate and potash, um, which are being supplied by applying these manures. What other benefits do manures have?
1: Well, one thing we, we sort of did miss out there was obviously the sulfur content of them. So that's another macronutrient that is uh, being supplied uh, by these. Uh, and again, all the figures are, are, are available and, and can be analysed. But over and above that, um, a lot of guys are putting these on not only for the for the fertiliser value, but also for the organic matter value. That's 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 putting that back into the soil. So we've got both that organic matter, but I mean, they're all full of uh, micronutrients as well. Um, so again, it's, it's one of the ones that's quite difficult to quantify uh, in terms of that benefit, but it's something that certainly shouldn't be overlooked whenever we're, we're thinking about um, whether or not to apply these organic manures.
0: So now that we've talked about the different manure options, when is the best time to apply manures to maximize nutrient benefit to the following crop?
1: So there's a few factors in, uh, that, that need to be considered here. Um, and one of the main things uh, is that you are applying it to uh, during a season where there's an actively growing crop. If there's not an actively growing crop there, um, there's no requirement for that, or there's no crop to take up any nitrogen. So we're going to be seeing a lot of uh, volatilization and leaching into the, into the atmosphere for, for, for nitrogen uh, and phosphate. So really, we're looking at springtime applications whether that be in the springtime before a crop's sown uh, so it could be that we are putting this on, on on top of stubbles and then plowing it down um or whether it's the sort of likes of slurries growing, uh, applying that to a growing crop it uh, would also be a, another benefit um, but i suppose on grassland it's also about applying it to when there's when there's a need for grass um there's not an awful lot of sense on putting on organic manures in the middle of summertime whenever you're at peak grass growth um because those that are sort of high in nitrogen all that we're then doing is encouraging more grass and fine if you're looking to conserve that for for silage um for the winter time but if you're at a stage uh, in, in your grass growth peak where, where you've got enough grass then we'll need to think a little bit about when when we're wanting the grass and then obviously similarly similarly for cropping and um, working that in amongst when your typical nitrogen would be would be applied um growing crops there's obviously a damaging uh, aspect if we're, if we're applying them. Um, like are running up and down tram lines, uh, and, and if we are running in between tram lines, so making sure the crop's not too advanced uh, for us to be applying them. So uh, a few factors there, but I suppose that the, the take home message is applying these to a growing crop and also in conditions as well, uh, when when conditions are favorable, whether that be uh, on, on on dry soil, not going on water waterlogged ground, um, and also uh, making sure that the forecast is, is, is decent for, for applying them. Um- the other thing to, to bear in mind for environmental factors is making sure that we're we're adhering to the relevant geek rules, um making sure that we're not applying within ten metres of a watercourse, um fifty metres of a well or borehole. Um and again a reminder, these are all cross compliance obligations that, that we've got anyway. So just a reminder uh, when when we're considering applying these. Um more so maybe those that haven't been applying organic manures um historically, maybe a, an arable farm that's taken on a straw for muck deal this year that that, that May be, they may not have done it in the past, May be unfamiliar we haven't spread in organic manures. Um, just a note to them to, to make sure they're, they're abiding by the, the rules.
0: So Craig, you mentioned there that, that um, you might be ploughing down your manures before you're growing the crop. What sort of time period do you want before between applying the manures and then having the crop established in the ground?
1: I suppose it's all, a lot of it'll be about practicalities in terms of um, workload and whatnot. But the, the the answer to that would be probably as soon as possible. The longer organic manure sit on the surface, um, the the more opportunity there are for for nutrient losses. So whether you're plowing them down, whether you're incorporating them with discs or a cultivators. Um, if you can delay that application of the organic manures as close to sowing period as as you can. Um, again, just back to what I said earlier about making sure that the crops growing, um having them as, as, as close to that period as possible is probably the, 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 the piece of advice I would give there. On grassland, there's not enough lot you can do if you're applying FYM to grassland, obviously you're not gonna be incorporating it down. Um so you are you are limited by, by what you can do in there. But in an arable situation certainly um keeping them as close to, to sowing as possible.
0: So you mentioned a couple of different incorporation methods there. Is the one that's better than the other or not?
1: I think it's probably more to do with your wider um your wider take on how to establish um, crops. I mean the thing that's probably going to determine this more is, is fuel use and, and what your system is. Um, certainly plowing down uh, will will limit that will limit that. Um, lost probably more so than, than, than disking or tine, But I mean at the same time you are burying that organic manure at quite a depth. Um and when you're thinking about the, the rooting structure at that point, the roots won't be that deep until they're they're well established. So um that nutrients won't be lost but it'll be it'll be there, it'll be available for, for the roots to scavenge to and um, whereas on the surface when we're disking and, and using tine cultivators and whatnot, it it will be much more available. But again, with it being that bit closer to the surface there might be a bit more losses involved there so uh, it's probably more to do with what your what your establishment technique is rather than rather than choosing one over over the other just based on the availability um but you can see in the technical notes um technical note number um, 736 there is availability tables uh, in there so that will show the difference between um, surface applied and um, plowing down and incorporation in terms of the availability of nitrogen certainly um, and there'll also be the different figures as you asked earlier but when's the best time to apply um, the availability obviously changes throughout that period so the, the individual figures there for how much nitrogen will be available can be found in that technical note
0: we will put a link in the show notes to the technical note, so go and have a look at that. Um, it's definitely a great way to see how much nutrients are available, depending on what your methods are. So we've talked about incorporation, but we have need to take a step back and actually think about how we're applying um, manures. So if we think about farmyard manure to start with, what is the best method for applying it?
1: Well, the best method for applying it is that that gets it as even a spread across the field as possible. So um, if we think about it, we've got three different methods of applying it. We've probably got the conventional barrel spreader, um, which is, as it suggests, it's a a chain or a shaft that that spits it out. the right hand side of the machine we've then got a, a rear discharge spreader which is a sort of conveyor um or a or a chain and um, drive uh, and it's pushing all the dunk at the back against two uh, vertical beaters um, and then the third method is uh is, is the same again chains delivered to the back of the machine but we've got two horizontal beaters uh, which will then uh, drop that uh, fim or any any solid uh, manure onto a set of spinning discs so the Pros and cons of both, um, or all three rather, uh, the barrel spreader is a sort of cheap and cheerful method of applying it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's probably the least accurate in terms of getting that um, organic manures level across the field. But uh, a good operator will, will do a good job on on that. Um, the second method would be the rear discharge, which is probably the most common form of application for, for a lot of arable farmers. So um, not get quite as nice a spread pattern, again, as, as the spinning disc, but. Uh, it, it can do a good job it's probably the, one of the quickest methods of, of having spread it but you are limited to your to your width that you can spread so probably fine for fym where you're probably not wanting to be putting that on top of the surface of growing crops and um, but there's a lot, lot more trafficking involved in that compared to the spinning disc so the spinning disc can be spreading anywhere up to well up to 24 meters plus uh, width so uh, they do tend to have quite a, an accurate spreading pattern but whenever you're getting into that sort of width we're keep talking about a bit about um again wind um having an effect on, on the spreading pattern so uh, making sure everything's just maintained and up to date making sure chains on a barrel spreader are are, are 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 relatively new they're not worn uh, the same with the tips on the on the back of the on the back of the rear discharge and then again the 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 veins on the spinning disc making sure these are all up to date and and not worn will will have a big impact on um on oh, the accuracy of spreading, um, the other thing to note as well is that a lot of these of uh, machines now. have got weigh scales, uh, weigh scales um, that they can use. So judging it based without having them judging your application rate can be incredibly difficult uh, and that is a figure we do need to know uh obviously the application rate to know exactly how much uh fym or, or other compost that we've spread Just considering if, if you've not if you've got a spreader um that doesn't have way sales i mean i think we need to do something to to gauge what that level of application is but if you have got a, a way sales sp- a waste scale spreader, um, it's a great tool to be using, um, and and this can um count up your application rate and also record it for for whatever compliance um methods that you that you've got to comply with. So uh, yeah, fantastic tools uh, used in in the right hands.
0: Definitely, it's interesting that you said that it does depend on how good the operator is on how how well the nutrients are utilised.
1: Yeah, it's uh, we we sometimes forget that this isn't a waste as a fertiliser and it really should be. Sh- should be treated with the same care and, and accuracy that that we are applying bag fertilizer from because it's just as valuable a a, a commodity in the farm as, as the stuff sitting in the bag in the shed.
0: Yeah, definitely. So moving on to slurry, I think there's a lot more technology that's now available for applying slurry.
1: At the beginning of this year, Tiffany, there was new legislation brought in uh, that was due to phase out the the splash plate. So conventionally, farmers would have a would have a. A tanker uh, and or an umbilical system, and all of it would have a, a, a splash plate on it. So the slurry came out of high pressure, hit this plate, uh, and then it sort of made its own pattern across. But they were very heavily criticised for having a lot of uh, volatilisation and loss of in, in nitrogen to the environment. So they are getting phased out um, by. I think by 2027, um, they're going to be a complete ban on splash plates. But at current, there's there's new legislation out. And depending upon how many cattle, et cetera, that you've got, um, they will be banned out even, even sooner than that. So um, that's leading farmers on to looking at alternatives. Um, and of course, some of the alternatives being uh, either a dribble bar, um, a shallow injection or a deep injection leg. So um, starting off with a dribble bar, uh, all it is is that it's, uh, again, you've got the same pipe coming out of the tanker or the umbilical. Uh, it comes up to a macerator. That sort of chops up all the the heavy components, uh, straw, uh, sort of silage that might be left over in your slurry, uh, and that puts that out to individual pipes that go the, the width of the of the machine. So, and um, what it's doing is it's dropping the slurry down into the ground a bit closer uh, rather than sort of spreading it in a in 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 the splash plate sort of fashion, um, and it's getting the slurry to closer to where it needs to be in terms of the roots uh, or the grass and whatnot so there's there's the dribble bars which sort of dribbles it on there's the sort of shallow injection so that can be like a sort of set of discs running behind the tanker as well again the same fashion these small droppers going down to the discs but what the discs doing is it's going down two or three inches into the into the soil it's opening up the soil uh, and it's then dropping that slurry on into the soil rather than the dribble bar sort of putting it just on top of the grass and rows. Uh, And then the third option there's a sort of deep leg injection. So it tends to be a sort of, um, you're almost doing a cultivation at the same time, uh, putting it down behind the spout of a sort of um, subsoiler type leg. Um, So that's the three options. Uh, most common, probably going forwards, going to be dribble bars. It's the least cost option in terms of having bought the kit, um, and it's probably one of the easiest methods to comply with the new with the new. Um, regulations that that are coming out Um, and of course they are seen to be giving you more availability of nitrogen compared to the conventional methods of of spreading so um, they will be a bit easier to keep accurate as well just when we're talking about uh, FYM there's obviously a a sort of wind factor involved in that and and overlaps and whatnot but when you combine uh, the dribble bars and the the injection with some uh, GPS guidance on the tractor we can get this to, to quite good to quite high accuracies. Um so yeah, there's 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 numerous options there for, for spreading slurry. Um but um yeah, it's it's again the same the same principles apply. Getting that spread as accurately as possible is is, is, is what we need to be doing.
0: It's interesting that there are methods that give you more availability of nutrients, which I think is definitely an excellent thing. You also mentioned about the changing of the slurry rules. Um, So from the 1st of January 2023, slurry must not be applied using a raised splash plate or rain gun, and slurry must be applied using precision equipment if applied on farms with more than 100 milking cows. And by the 1st of January 2027, all slurry equipment must be applied using precision equipment. So I think it's definitely worthwhile to start making the transition to the new precision equipment.
1: And at this point. Um, farmers have probably just had I mean there's been a new round of SACGS, the Sustainable Agricultural Capital Grant Scheme Um, so most farmers now that applied for that in um, June 2022 um, now in July they've now got their contracts out so there'll be a a lot of people now looking to to get these purchased.
0: It's great that they are supporting um, people to start making the move and transition through to the precision equipment so could you tell us a bit more about what the technology is that's available Craig?
1: Yeah, so through that SACGS uh, over and above your sort of your methods of application, the technology that was there, there was a, it was a real time uh, inline nutrient analysis of slurry, and there was also the um, funding available for the flow meters. So um, starting off with the flow meters, fairly straightforward. The way it works is uh, it can be applied onto an umbilical system. Uh, and all it is, is it's, a, it's an inline bit that you put in your, in, in your slurry and it'll tell you what your application rate is. So it'll match up with your tractor's forward speed. So it'll know the volume of slurry going through there in a minute. Um, and then corrected there for your for, for both your forward speed and your your width and um, you can have a real-time um readout in the cab to say that you're putting on 30 meters cubed a hectare 25 meters cubed a hectare whatever that happens to be so uh, it really just does take the guesswork out of how much you're applying um and it, it makes sure that the that the farmers employed the contractor or he's done it himself and he knows exactly what, what he's been put on so similar to the way sales and the the way scales and the um in the spreaders, um, this gives you the, the opportunity to then measure what you're putting on. Um, and the other option that was in there was the real time uh, inline nutrient analysis. So, what that is, it's uh, well, the best way to describe it, it's an, it's an infrared sensor that's mounted on, again, inline. On the, on, on the umbilical system and what that does is that takes readings um, like thousands of readings a minute of uh, your nutrient content of the slurry so that can uh, record your nitrogen your phosphorus your potassium uh, in the dry matter of the slurry so that's taking thousands of analysis every minute, so it's getting a good picture of what your slurry is Um, and that can be used for a lot of things. We can record that um, solely just to record how much nitrogen, phosphate and potassium we're going on and that combined with the GPS and the tractor can then can then paint a picture to say that, well, that field's had X amount of nitrogen. Um, The slurry at the beginning was a little bit thicker, um, so therefore it get more nutrients, but the slurry at the end of the field was a bit thinner, so it then get less nutrients. Um, And what we can then do is we can then create a prescription map. Um, So if you are doing variable rate, um, you, can, you can then create a variable rate application map to say that, well, the, the west side of that field was slightly less nutrients applied. So whenever we're putting on the balance of P and K or, or nitrogen that's required for that growing crop, um the west side needs to get a little bit more than, than what the than what than, than what the east side was. And and when I'm saying a little bit more, it's not just a case of plus or minus ten percent. We know exactly the amount of kilograms of nitrogen, and P and K that's went on in the different parts of the field. So um we can put that onto the on, onto the spreading file and, and, and correct that uh, with whatever fertilizers we're applying over and above the over and above the slurry. The other thing that the, uh, that the system can do is that it can also control the forward speed of the tractor. So um, if your slurry does happen to... to- to get a bit thinner, and um, therefore you've got less nutrients going through that pipe um, per minute. What it will do is it will slow the tractor down to say that, okay, the the first part of the field's got X amount of slurry per hectare, um, but this stuff might only be eighty percent of the potency of the of the first part of the field. So what it will do is it will slow the tractor down by by twenty percent then to make sure that it's getting the same nutrients. So although the first bits of the, the field get less slurry, the second part of the field then can can apply a little bit more slurry by. Reducing in your forward speed to make sure that we're getting an even application across the field. So, um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. But I, uh, I suspect it's got an awful lot more uh, potential to develop uh, as, as the technology evolves. Um, but yeah, that's the sort of a, a, a brief run through of what the, what the real time analysis can do. Um, and of course, there was a video available that we've done on this through the Farm Advisory Service.
0: Yeah, we'll pop a link um, to the video in the show notes. It's definitely an excellent resource if you want to go and find out a bit more. Manures are providing nutrients to the soils. So before farmers go and apply their manures, what do they need to think about and consider so they can decide how much to apply?
1: The first thing they, they need to do is, is they need to get a soil analysis. Um, there's the old phrase, you can't manage what you don't measure. So um, we need to know exactly what the what the soil, either surplus or deficit is at the start. So um, getting a, a routine soil analysis done across the fields is, is, is the first part. So that will tell us the pH. We're not talking really about lime today, but obviously it's an important factor. Uh, but... but they'll they'll tell you the phosphate and the potash uh, status of that soil so um that's that's the baseline we need whether that's a a low status uh, there's obviously opportunity there to be applying more than what our offtake is or whether that's a high status um there's opportunity to make savings on on fertilizers so it's about getting a picture of the whole farm targeting what nutrients you've got whether that's for for organics um for organic manures, or whether that's for your bag fertiliser and targeting them. So once we've got the soil analysis done, and um, that gives us our, our baseline, we then need to go through the nutrient, the nutrient budgeting sort of process. So um, we then need to work out how much nutrients to apply to each field so um, there's a lot of things that drive that um, but one of the important things that we need to know is, is the yield that's come off so whether we're talking about silage whether we're talking about wheat whether we're talking about barley eh, we need to accurately know what the what the tonnage that's been removed because uh, in the technical notes there's standard figures to say that each ton of grain will, will remove x amount of phosphate or remove x amount of potash and the same for silage so Easy in grain, I suppose, maybe a little bit more difficult in silage to work out what your off takes been, so getting some information on that and, and making as good, I guess, at that as possible can then tell us what the surplus or what the, what the balance needs to be that we need to apply. Um, and again, as we talked about earlier, knowing your application rates of organic manures, um, we can then multiply up by either what we've had done in organic manure analysis or what we've done in the benchmark um, standard figures multiply that by our application rate will then give us the balance that needs to be applied and it might be that organic manures are supplying all of that P&K uh, or it might be that they're, they're, they're applying a percentage of that P&K and and we need to make the balance up to make sure that we're not um, taking off more nutrients than, than we're applying.
0: You mentioned there about soil analysis there's a new preparing for sustainable farming grant scheme how can that be of benefit?
1: So what that's doing is uh, it's encouraging farmers obviously to, to be making better use of your nutrients. So um, there's money available for, um, for soil analysis. So for your region one ground uh, up to 20% of the farm can be funded um, annually up to 30 pounds a hectare. So um, whether that's be just on straight soil analysis or you can get down the GPS soil analysis route as well, um, that is money. Uh, farmers can access um and the stipulations uh, on that is that you've had a carbon audit done within the last three years uh, of your soil analysis so uh, yeah we're very much encouraging farmers to to get on and, and and do that carbon audit if they've not already done it um and it gives them it gives them that baseline and it probably gives them that push that that, that they maybe haven't been doing or, or maybe they have been doing but uh, and it'll financially reward them for having done that um by covering the cost of their soil analysis
0: And also in the first year that you um, apply for soil analysis funding, you also can get additional funding for um, learning about nutrient budgeting, whether you go and get advice from somebody or undertake some kind of CPD, but it's just um, learning about nutrient budgeting, which is also a great benefit if you're wanting to be applying your manures to the best so you know where to target them to get the most out of them. So with fertiliser prices at such a high, what value could we place on manures, Craig?
1: So for farmyard manure, I, I think we can be valuing them anywhere between 15 and £20 pound a tonne uh, based on sort of current fertiliser prices. That is solely the and K value of them. That's not accounting for any sulphur value, uh, for any micronutrient value or for that um benefit that it has to 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 increase in your organic matter so very much a valuable commodity uh, and if you can follow the tips that that we've sort of talked about in today's podcast hopefully you can you can make the most of that that nutrients and it really should be treated the same as as the fertilizer coming out of the bag and um, it's worth just as much if not more uh, than, than bagged fertiliser. so um yeah make sure that you can be applying it as evenly as possible and, and accounting for the the nutrients that that's uh, providing to the farm.
0: You've mentioned geek there, Craig. What about NVZs?
1: So anybody that's within an NVZ will know that that are within an NVZ, these are areas set up in Scotland, and um, which have got more stringent. Uh, regulations in terms of fertiliser and organic manure applications than what the rest of Scotland are so uh, it's just worth a note that uh, when when you are doing uh, nutrient budget that keep in mind the NVZ rules so there are closed periods for uh, the spreading of high available in uh, organic manures Uh, and there's also maximum limits that you can put on of both organic manures and um, nitrogen fertiliser on crops so um, yeah that'll all be developed as you as you're doing your mvz plan but it's just an important note to, to bear in mind whenever you're doing the nutrient budget process
0: thank you very much for joining us today craig there's definitely been lots of great top tips in there and thank you to all of you for listening to this episode of cropcast if you've enjoyed listening please like subscribe and follow our podcast available on the FAS channel Leave us a review to let us know how we're doing, and if you'd like to get in touch, you can find all of our contact details in the show notes below. You may also enjoy some of our other shows, such as Stock Talk, our monthly panel show providing timely advice on livestock management, or Thrill of the Hill, a monthly show featuring guest speakers who live and work in the upland environment. Join us again on the 19th of October for the next episode of CropCast.
1: The Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business, and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.